Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. I was going to name this homily, Stuck in the Middle with You, from that song from when I think before most of us were born, maybe all of us today were born. Um, I don't really know exactly what that song means, um, <laughs> but I think, oddly enough, like uh, a song that was more of my time, Jimmy Eat World's The Middle, um, it's sort of vaguely praising the middle way through like two extremes, um, you know, not getting off, not being drawn off the, the path that's, that's good or uh, proper, but sticking to that, that path, the middle, um, not being on the left or the right with the jokers or the... I don't, however that song goes, it's, I'm probably not going to go with that name anyway. Um, but there is, there's much to be said for the middle. There's much to be said in praise of the middle, especially today with this like temptation to always be drawn further and further into the extreme of any particular uh, ideology or movement or identity, um, which seems to be just the zeitgeist for the day, creating enemies and sowing confusion and mistrust all around us learning to become more comfortable in the moderating middle sometimes could be what helps us to maintain sanity um, in an increasingly polarized atmosphere. Uh, but the middle, I think, is more profound as a concept and maybe more important for us as people than, than just the idea of uh, taking up moderate positions in various arguments. The middle may be actually uniquely and distinctly the human realm. Here's what I mean by that. The order of the cosmos was made, God made heavens and earth, right? God made uh, the, the heavenly realities full of spiritual beings, and he made the earthly reality full of vegetable and animal beings. And in the middle, God created man to tend the garden, the vegetable uh, beings, and take care of and name the animals, um, and no other animal which we have named as humans taken from the stuff of this earth, we're told God breathed into, put his breath, his ruach into. And so mankind is unique in this. The spiritual element which animates us is different than all other animals, and it sets us apart. And it makes us this connecting creature that not only eats and walks around and does stuff like other animals, but also converses with God and the spiritual beings as well. So by our very nature, we're sort of in the middle of the order of the cosmos. So how does this work inside us? What, how are we structured to fit in with that structure of the cosmos? C.S. Lewis described man as having three parts or elements, uh, which all function together, but each in their own distinct ways. The head or the mind the reasoning capacity that we have, is akin to the spiritual beings. Uh, and the belly, he said, is akin to the animal beings. It's sort of the prototypical organ of the appetite or earthly desires, the emotions and passions. And then there's this middle part of us, the chest, which he describes as being sort of the liaison office between the head and the belly. See, the chest is the home of stable sentiments, healthy, solid emotions 
that um, maybe if they begin in our belly are now fortified with reason and they meet here in the chest. And the chest is also home to these virtues, these, these concepts and ideas that have been yet grounded in reality through our stomach. Um, you know, pure reasoning without the aid of emotions and desires can become these cold, calculative, disconnected things. And so we need, we need that pure angelic reason, but we also need this animal connectedness to the world. And the way that these two meet and blend and balance are in our chest, this middle element. And C.S. Lewis suggests that it might even be by this middle element that mankind is man. Uh, because if we were just mere intellects, we would be like the angels. And if we were just mere appetites, we would be like the animals. But we're, we're in the middle. And we do that, we accomplish this by this middle element. It is upon the trunk that a gentleman works, said Confucius. For when that is firmly set up, the way grows. The trunk, not the roots and not the fruits of a tree, is the domain of man, this middle element. C.S. Lewis quotes uh, Confucius in his book when talking about these three elements. And it's funny that Confucius uses this botanical metaphor because it ties in so perfectly with the two botanical metaphors from our scriptures today. From St. Paul, we hear about, he quotes Isaiah, uh, which we read from in morning prayer, talking about the root of Jesse coming. And the root of Jesse, it comes from the 11th chapter of Isaiah, um, verses 1 and 10. And he speaks of two different things. He talks of the root of Jesse. Uh, Jesse is the father of King David, um, who was the greatest king that Israel had known and sort of became the, the prototype of uh, what Israel would recognize as their great future king, who would be in the line of David. And so David, coming from the family tree of Jesse, uh, when Isaiah talks about the root of Jesse, he's talking about the root of that whole system, the whole hope of Israel. What is that root? What's the people of Israel grounded in God? And so the root of Jesse will end up coming later, after David, which is interesting. Um, but we also hear that uh, Christ is the fulfillment of that promise, right? So he's the fruit of this. So he's the root and the fruit. Uh, and, and the seeming ambiguity that arises from Isaiah talking about the root of David in, in verse 1 and then the fruit of David in verse 11, um, it would seem that Christ is both of these things. And if there was any doubt that that was the right interpretation of this in the first generation of the church, it was soon settled when St. John's revelation was written in which Christ the King in glory himself seated in heaven reveals, I am the root and the descendant of David. That comes from Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. The paradox is expressed even more potently in the three separate proclamations throughout Revelation that Christ is Alpha and Omega, the very first and the very last, the beginning and the end. And St. Ambrose interpreted the root of Jesse as being sort of the household of the Jews, but this can still be understood rightly if it's acknowledged that the source and the sustenance of the household of the Jews is still Christ. He was there giving them life and forming them into a family and a nation from the beginning. So Christ is the root and the fruit, the source 
and the end. And in the gospel today, Jesus points to a fig tree as sort of indicating uh, when you see the, the fruit starting to grow, when you see the, the little branches starting to pop out there, you know that summer is on its way. There's a sign here that uh, something is about to be fulfilled. And he says, just like you can see that in the fig tree, you can see with the, the signs that I'm talking about that this is going to be the precursor for uh, this, this coming in glory of mine. Uh, now, it's, it's indicative... Uh, the things that he says in the gospel are actually, all of those happen at his crucifixion. And so when he says that, you know, the, the skies will be darkened, the earth will shake, et cetera, et cetera, and that this generation will not pass away till they see these things, he was correct because that generation saw those things at his crucifixion and his glorious uh, resurrection and then his ascension. But we read this during Advent to make us think of his second and glorious coming, Right? But that's because when he ascended into heaven, the angel said, the way you saw him go is the way you'll see him come back. He's coming in the same way that you saw him go, riding on clouds, surrounded by saints and angels in glory. And so uh, every, every image of his triumph on the cross and his glorious ascension is also an image that we can use in expectation of his coming again. And so two tree metaphors talking about Christ as the source and the end. And so what he's telling us is that the fruit, the fulfillment of things, this is his domain. Times and seasons are for God to know, not us. The tender stems, the budding flowers, the growing fruit, we leave all that up to God. Likewise, we accept the roots that we've been given, and we don't need to obsess over what's in the past. The roots are buried and also beyond our scope. We're here in the middle working, as Confucius tells us, on the trunk, growing as best and as strong and as solid as we can. So we're not only in the middle place in the order of beings, you know, between angels and animals, we're also in the middle in sort of the cosmic order of time. As Christians, we're also in the middle between Christ's first and last advents, during this season, we frequently talk about three advents of Christ. His first coming as a baby, his final coming as the king of glory and ruler and judge, and then there's this third way that Christ comes, and that's here in the middle where we are now. We talk about Christ coming and living in our hearts frequently. We'll, we'll use that language in the hymn that we sing during communion. And Christ does come and live in our hearts. We we make room for him to set up his throne and reign within us. But one of the most powerful and poignant ways that Christ comes to be inside of us is also in the Eucharist. And we're here today to participate in uh, Christ's coming in the Eucharist. I mean, what we're about to do is offer ourselves with bread and wine on the altar. Uh, during the offertory, FYI, this is, this is what we are supposed to be doing spiritually as, as Father Ben prepares the bread and the wine and, uh, and puts everything in order, says prayers, uh, per, uh, asking that God would make these gifts acceptable, we join ourselves to those gifts and we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And so on the altar, when Father Ben lifts everything up, we're not only offering bread and wine, we're offering us. We are joined with bread and wine. 
And both of those things, us and the bread and wine, become Christ. Not only the Eucharist isn't about turning bread and wine into Christ, it's about turning us into Christ, right? The bread and wine truly become the body and blood of Christ. But then for what purpose? So that we can commune with him, eat God, so that he can transform us from inside. He comes to this table, to this altar, to meet us so that we can be transformed. So this this reigning of Christ in our hearts begins with putting Christ into our bellies so that he can rise to our hearts and transform our minds, bringing this whole triad of, of human elements into perfect harmony. That, that's, that's what we are doing here in Advent. We're talking about, especially in the first couple of Sundays, the second and great final coming of Christ. And then in the second couple of Sundays, as we get nearer to Christmas, we sort of transition to really preparing ourselves for that first coming of Christ and participating in that again as we, uh, like the Eucharist, remember it. Take the members and put it back together. That's what remembering means. Anamnesis is the Greek. It means to put something back together. So we are putting Christ's, uh, the reality of Christ's first coming into the present. We are remembering it, and that's how we participate in it at Christmas. So we have these two elements. But all throughout, every Sunday and every day of Advent, that middle coming is what we should be most focused on. We didn't make Christ come in the manger. We won't make Christ come at the end. The roots and the fruits are beyond our scope. We are here today to learn how to work on our trunk, (laughs) to work in the middle, to uh, tend what is within our scope. There is a particular saint who I think is a great example of working within his scope and showing how that middle element, the seed of magnanimity, the big-chested, big-hearted, big-souled human life can really be exemplified. His name was Nicholas. He was born in the 4th century in uh, what's now where Turkey is, um, in, in what was then called Asia Minor. He was born to wealthy parents who died when he was fairly young, and they left him all of his wealth, and so he was well set up. But he had this habit of giving away his wealth at every chance. There was a, a family with three young girls who was completely poor, and these, these poor girls, you couldn't marry off your daughters unless you had some money to send with them to help sort of establish their family. It was called a dowry, and this family had nothing. And the, the father was terrified that his daughters were going to end up basically in, in some work of ill repute just to be able to eat. Nicholas heard about this and at night snuck up to the, uh, to the side of their house where their uh, boots and stockings were, you know, hanging out uh, to, to air out at night and dropped money in their, in their shoes. And he did this for three nights and uh, they kept discovering it and they had no idea who was dropping money into their shoes at night. And on the third night, the father stayed up late and caught Nicholas in the act and, and uh, Nicholas begged him, please don't tell anybody, just this, you know, this, this gift isn't from me, it's from God. Just accept it and may you and your daughters be blessed. Well, that story obviously has been passed down for years and to this day, we still see St. Nicholas putting things in our stockings. But he went on to become a priest and then a bishop 
a bishop that ended up going to the first church council at Nicaea. And there was a man who was teaching uh, pretty, pretty successfully. A lot of people were, were coming over to this way of thinking that Jesus wasn't actually the son of God, born before all ages, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, but that he was a creature like us. Now, he was, a, he was a very exalted creature, but he was like us, and he wasn't truly God. Nicholas knew that that was not the faith that had been handed down. And this argument went back and forth and back and forth. And at one point, all of these, you know, these bishops, these, these men of God who are supposed to keep their decorum and, and, you know, debate and work these things out, Nicholas was going at it with Arius. This was the man teaching the wrong thing. And Arius said something very, very not okay about Jesus. And Nicholas popped him on the face. And all the bishops said, oh, my, Nicholas, that was inappropriate. And he was escorted out. And uh, they were not going to let him back in to debate the next day. But so many bishops that night had a vision of Jesus coming to them and saying, it's okay. Nicholas did well by me. Let him back in into the, into the council. And so they, they let him back in. What happened there with Nicholas? It seems like he got mad and hit somebody and it was bad. That's, that's like the, the belly, the, the appetites, the passions going out of control, right? But what, what, what prompted him? It's because he knew the truth. He had learned the faith and guarded it well in his mind. And his knowledge of truth in his mind and his zeal in his belly came together as a stable sentiment, zeal for the Lord, holy wrath. We see Jesus doing the same thing when he knocks over the tables and drives all the money changers out of the temple, right? That's why he was exonerated. Bishop Nicholas was a great example of all three elements working together to accomplish something beautiful. And this this one moment didn't define his life. What defined his life was service and love of God. So we can look to Nicholas, whose feast day is tomorrow, as an example of how to live, how to welcome Christ into our hearts, that he lives in us so fully that we are transformed into him, doing what he did most of the time, which was taking care of those in need, and then in those moments when it's really necessary, letting that holy zeal and passion really come out and shake people out of, out of their stupor and put them back on the solid middle way so that they can grow. We are, as Christ said, the branches and he is the vine. He is the fruit, he's uh, the roots, he's the fruit, and he is the life of the trunk, he's the vine. Christ is our whole life. And so as we contemplate what it means to live in the middle of the cosmos, in the middle of time, um, to maybe learn to live a little more moderately in the middle of some of the uh, extreme positions out there. Let's look to St. Nicholas as he points us to Christ to learn how to live as true Christians. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.